Thank you, Liz, for recording that reading for us. I wonder, let me start with a question, whether you would see yourself as an optimist or a pessimist this morning or in life generally. As you view your situation or the world's situation, what do you feel, despair or hope? For the prophet Ezekiel, this question of despair or hope comes up repeatedly. He was in exile in Babylon and his message was often gloomy. Judgment was coming and Jerusalem would not be spared. And yet, he predicted, out of the ashes of Jerusalem, well, he begins to predict hope for the hopeless. God's people will be resurrected and renewed to the point where they become a real fighting force, a vast army, as verse 10 puts it. Now, that image of God's people as an army is the one we've reached in our series on the church today. And I don't know, maybe we might think on a day like today that an army isn't necessarily a positive image. Well, that all depends on the cause which the army is committed to and the kingdom they represent. So let me say, this is a promise, it seems to me, which overturns so much of the darkness of our world. Our tendency is always to underestimate both the negatives and the positives of our situation. But the lesson of this bit of the Bible is that things are both far worse than we think and that God's solution is more wonderful than we can imagine. The bad news I'm summarizing as the reality of death, and it's there at the start of that reading we had. If you've got a Bible, look at 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And it's clear later on that these people haven't died of natural causes. They were slain in verse 9. We feel revulsion at the TV images of mass graves, wherever they might be, in Kosovo or elsewhere, or severed remains scattered in the street after a suicide bomb. For a pious Jew, it would be worse still. Contact with a, a body made you spiritually unclean. And in verse 2, God deliberately prolongs the experience for Ezekiel. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones, bones that are very dry. So God takes them on a a walkabout tour so you can see how many bones there are and just how dry they are picked over by animals and bleached by the sun. Poet W.H. Auden has that couplet about the aging process. Beauty sliding from the bone leaves the rigid skeleton. Well, we're way beyond that here. No skeletons, just detached bones and lots of them. No trace of life. No trace even of the recognizable individuals they had been. Now, death on that scale is a reality in war, isn't it? The Queen's visit yesterday to the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior in Westminster Abbey makes that point eloquently. The fact that so many died in Flanders with their bodies dismembered, with no known grave, uh, to honor them was crucial for that generation. They had to be remembered. So it's an extraordinary question in verse 3 of our passage. He asks me, son of man, can these bones live? Not if what he's seen is true. Well, only God can answer or ask that question because only God can give hope 
in the face of that pervasive death scene. Now, the vision gets explained in verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So you see what God is saying. Even if they're physically alive, the people that Ezekiel was speaking to, the final curtain has fallen on Old Testament Israel. There is no future. Because God's people have apparently died not just at the hands of an enemy, but under the judgment of God. And the Bible tells us that that is true for us all. Long before Israel's exile, Adam and Eve, who represented humanity, had rebelled against God and been thrown out of God's paradise. They'd been warned if they disobeyed God, they would surely die. And from this point on, they're alive physically, yes, but spiritually, in God's eyes, they were dead, as we all are by nature ever since. The Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sins. And that's what Ezekiel would see if he looked at us with God's vision. Left to ourselves, we would be very many bones and very dry spiritually. I want to ask if you've faced this bad news, the reality of death, in particular our spiritual death. That was the realization for me which led to me becoming a Christian. I can still remember the first Bible talk I really listened to when I was 16, after years of assemblies and services. The speaker said we were like airplanes with three engines, our bodies, our minds, and our souls. For now, we might be physically fit and intellectually sharp, he said, but what if our body and our mind failed? And we then discovered that the soul engine, spiritual life, wasn't working. See, it's frighteningly possible to think, well, I'm physically alive, I must be fine. But any monitor spiritually is just showing a flat line. No heartbeat, we're lifeless, dead to God by nature. And we won't find some spiritual life deep within, that's far too optimistic. The bones are very dry. We're all dead by nature and under God's judgment. What a relief, therefore, that our passage doesn't end there. I've got a second heading, the triumph of life. It happens in two stages in the reading we had. Verse 4, first, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, which I suppose was a ludicrous idea. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. But we see in verse 7 that God's word has power to make amazing things happen. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. Except that in verse 8, hearing the word of the Lord is only stage one. I looked, and tenders and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. All that's been achieved at that point is a lot of lifeless corpses. And I sort of imagine the vultures circling overhead again, just waiting for some unexpected second helpings. So in verse 9, a second stage, Ezekiel's told to prophesy to the breath. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. 
makes me wonder, why does this miracle happen in two parts? Surely God could do it in one go. Shouldn't the word of God on its own finish the job straight away? Well, the route to understanding this lies in that word breath in verses 9 and 10. It's a word that can be translated three ways, breath, wind, or spirit. In fact, it's translated each of those ways in our verses. And it means that the breath Ezekiel calls on is none other than God's Holy Spirit. In Israel, they'd had the word of God for centuries, but they'd kept on rejecting what God said. Here, God was promising something new. From now on, that word would be proclaimed externally and combined internally with the breath of the Holy Spirit in each individual member of God's people. They'd be a new creation. Now, I'm not going to go through the details of what follows. At one level, the triumph of life that God promised them was a return from exile. When they got home to their own land, it was like life from the dead. But ultimately, this prediction came true later in Jesus Christ. Three days after he was crucified, bearing God's judgment for us, after death and decay had set in, he came back to life again, not just as a ghost, but with a real physical body. This prediction also comes true in Christians individually. Jesus is able to give every Christian spiritual life now. That is already a resurrection, a fresh start. But they look forward to a day in the future when their bodies will catch up. They'll be raised physically, not just as ethereal, disembodied spirits wearing heavenly nighties and strumming heavenly harps. It will be a bodily resurrection with flesh and bones, as in Ezekiel's vision. But, and this is our theme today, this prediction also comes true in the Christian church. With resurrection life, we become a vast army. I guess we don't always feel like we're part of an army. We feel dwarfed by global politics on the one hand, market forces, or the bluster of the media, uh, the glitz of Hollywood. We think that's those sorts of things where the power lies today. But no, not if God's Spirit is forming us into an army. We've got our marching orders in the Bible. How wonderful to have God's perspective when so many lack the wisdom we need for challenging times. We've got the divine energy of God's spirit with us, God's power, even for very tough times. We have colleagues standing shoulder to shoulder with us in the battle. We're not alone. And we have a great cause as well. We're remembering today lives laid down for causes that really mattered. Thank God they were willing. The purpose truly mattered. And we can know that the cause for God's army matters. It mattered so much to God that Jesus was willing to shed his blood to achieve it. So we have a purpose. Your life counts. Real life isn't just little me on my own in a personal friendship with Jesus because he's alive and I'm alive. True. But Jesus died and rose again for a multitude beyond counting from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He brings different people together 
from all sorts of places and all sorts of backgrounds to make them a force for good in the world. It's one of the miracles that God works in us. A, a miracle of being a Christian is that he wants to destroy our selfishness and put us into a team with others, an army, where we're united with each other and we have a cause to live for and a flag to unite around. So let me ask again, as I did at the start, are you an optimist or a pessimist? It seems to me, on reflection, that the key question is this. Have you ever asked the Spirit to give you life, spiritual life? Let me say, if you haven't, then any optimism you might have about life and the world and yourself is actually baseless and unfounded. Ultimately, that must be true. In fact, if God's Spirit doesn't get to work on you, your situation is far worse than you think. You might feel very much alive at the moment, but you're in a living death. In that situation, we're still under God's judgment, with no future, and doomed for eternity. So, is there no hope? Well, there is every hope if you hear God's life-giving word, accompanied by God's spirit or breath. And that combination, let me say, I see it every week, has changed countless lives at All Saint. So let me ask that question of you again. Have you asked the spirit to give you real life? Take a moment to ponder it. Have you? Have you asked the Spirit to give you real life? If not, that is what you need to do today. And if you have, keep praying that way. Not because we need to start all over again for an ever and ever. The command to be filled with the Spirit is an ongoing command, not a one-off. So are you praying? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. You must pray that way. One positive result with being under pressure from corona is that I think we all have to face that our powers are limited. And therefore, it makes no sense to look within to summon up strength. We don't have it. It makes no sense to try and be optimistic and work out a solution and look out as if we can find a chink in the enemy's armor, whoever that enemy might be. Don't look within. Don't look outwards. Look upwards, as Ezekiel did, and pray. Pray as he did. Come from the four winds, O Spirit, and breathe into us that we may live. Then, great news, together we'll find we have something to live for, a united purpose in the army of the Lord of hosts, God Almighty. Let me pray for a moment. Maybe you know that uh, you have to pray this way as you never have done before. Lord, give me spiritual life by your Spirit. Or maybe it's an ongoing prayer, confessing the way we 
splinter so easily, especially in isolation from each other. An ongoing prayer to be reformed as part of God's people, indwelt by the Spirit. Lord, please come to us afresh by your Spirit from the four corners of the earth, as it were, and breathe into us that we may live. We pray it, Jesus, for your name's sake. Amen.